0: Today's scripture reading mm-hmm. comes from Matthew five, thirty-one through thirty-two. It has been said, anyone who divorces his wife must give her a certificate of divorce. But I tell you that anyone who divorces his wife, except for sexual immorality, makes her the victim of adultery, and anyone who marries a divorced woman commits adultery. This is the word of God for the people of God. Thanks be. Thank you, Angie. Well, friends, I just want to start off before we pray together with a couple things. <clears throat> First of all, as you've probably already noticed, I have a cold, and uh which means a couple of things. One, at the end of the, our service, as we're uh, exiting, I'll be offering you a fist bump, uh, which is optional. Um, but the other thing I want to say is if I lose my voice halfway through the sermon, I'll just look out. And uh, if I look at you, you just know it's your turn to come up and, and finish, <laughs> all right? Do you know what? In all seriousness, um, today as we continue our series, Jesus and what he said about romance, we're going to be talking about the difficult topic of divorce and remarriage. And, and can I tell you, that is, as a pastor, one of the most difficult things I could talk about. I acknowledge that. Uh, I recognize that, man, divorce has impacted our society in a pretty major way. In fact, the younger generation looks at marriage differently because of divorce and the fear of it. Uh, and I recognize that there are many of you who are sitting here today, who have either, uh, maybe your marriage is ending and you're going through divorce right now, or you've, uh, man, it's still fresh for you and, you, and you're divorced, and, or maybe you are, uh, you've been remarried and you're wondering what God has to say to you, or, or maybe you're a blended family and you're trying to figure out uh, you know where you should go, or, or you know, maybe you're a fresh couple and, and just entering into marriage. No matter where you are, here's my point. Uh, divorce is a difficult topic and, and the pain of it is real. And so as we talk this morning, I just want to say this, that I come with a word from God that I believe is both challenging and filled with hope. And and I hope you'll receive that no matter where you are. And I I pray that the Spirit would help us, each of us, to hear that word. But, But the reason I wanted to talk about that before we prayed is because every time I preach, I always ask you to pray with me and for me. And this morning, I just want to ask you, I know that we all have some woundedness that we bring, and so I just want to pray, ask all of you, that we pray for each other this morning, that we would pray not only that God would speak to us, but that we, we would receive the peace from God that surpasses all understanding. That's our prayer this morning. So let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you for your goodness and mercy in our lives. Uh, we pray this morning that as we talk about the difficult topic of divorce and what that means, no matter where we find ourselves, no matter where we're coming from, we know that we all bring woundedness, we all bring brokenness with us, and we pray for your healing for your wisdom, for your peace. And that no matter where we find ourselves this morning, we would both be challenged by your word and we would find hope in you. We lift all this in the name of Jesus Christ, our Savior. Amen. Well, you know, divorce <clears throat> impacts us all, I would think. I mean, I've I've walked with many people through uh, the difficulty of divorce and I've seen what it can do to our society, but let me tell you, my wife and I, we've been uh, married seven years. It's a really long time, right? Seven years. Now, the 945 service just couldn't stop laughing when I said that, but, uh, so thank you. You're much kinder now. Just kidding. But, my, I, we are fortunate. Uh, my parents have been married for 37 years, and, uh, or coming up on 37 years, and, um, and, and they've not been divorced, you know, obviously, and, and thankful for that, that we, I was able to grow up in that household. My wife, Melissa, her parents have been married for are coming up on 47 years. But, you know, it's such a cool thing, and we're so thankful that we grew up in a household that where our parents stayed together and stayed married. But here's the thing: just because you grew up in a household like that does not make you immune to divorce. And I, I know you know that, but it's it's true. You know, I've walked with people who, man, they grew up in a household and uh, their parents were both stayed together, but they divorced anyway. I've walked with people who, in fact, I know a couple in this church who both of their parents divorced, but they stayed together anyway. I mean, they figured a way through. And and my point is this, is that we all respond to these things differently and we all grow in in many different ways, but the pain of divorce is real and it impacts us all. And, And here's what I mean. We all have friends. We all have family. We all have somebody in our life that we care for who's been through a divorce, and the pain of that, and, and maybe you're going through divorce today, but we've all experienced that. But the pain of divorce, as my, as I've experienced with people walking through it, is real. Divorce can tear families apart. It can bring frustration. It can bring bitterness, resentment, doubt, fear. Here's the thing that I've noticed that people carry with them out of divorce the most. Guilt. I mean, it is just something that people, when they get divorced, just carry a, an immense amount of guilt with them through it all. And uh, and I just want to name those things as we get started today. The other thing that I want to say is, again, I mentioned this earlier already, but the fear of divorce has impacted our society in a pretty big way. Our younger generation, uh, for the last 35 years, it shows that people are more likely, are getting more and more likely to live together before marriage. In fact, some just never get married. They just cohabitate. In fact, out of the people who are cohabitating, 40% have children. Now, here's the thing, cohabitation, people are doing this because they want to make sure that they really know the other person before they make that commitment and and they want to make sure they're not entering into a bad marriage. But can I tell you that that's not going to solve the problem of divorce? Because if you split up and you're cohabitating, living together, and especially if you have children, it's still going to be extremely painful. There's still going to be all the resentment and frustration and bitterness, and so we need to talk, I think, in a different way, and uh, and, and we'll look at some of those things this morning, but, but my point is this, that the fear of divorce is real. Now, statistics show that 50% of all marriages end in divorce, so I apologize for this half of the room, but that means if I was to cut a line down the middle, you would all be divorced and your marriages would all be okay, so now you know, right? No, luckily it's not that simple, there are a lot of factors that go into it, but 50% is a lot. It's scary. You know there are a lot of factors. <clears throat> I'm sorry. There are a lot of factors that do go into divorce. You know, uh, age can play a factor. If you get married after the age of 25 versus before, apparently that you're more likely to stay married. Now, again, here's the thing about statistics: numbers are numbers, and we know that. And and people are people. Relationships are relationships. You you're gonna. If you're going through it, you're going through it for whatever reason, and it's some numbers aren't going to tell you that, but the reality is, is there are some factors that people have looked at over time. Uh, age, <clears throat> I'm sorry, <clears throat> education, you know what I hate about a cold? It clouds up your mind too, right? You lose your voice, and then your mind goes, and maybe I'm just getting older, I don't know. So thank you for your grace and patience this morning, but uh, education can play a factor, faith can play a factor, so... and. And when we talk about faith, it says that couples who are active in their faith, not nominal, not nominally religious, or have uh, no faith at all, the difference between active and, and nominal in your faith can play a role in, in making sure that you stay together in your marriage. Uh, money, is the strain of money is, can like have a, a severe impact on marriage. One of the things we teach here is Financial Peace University, taught by Dave Ramsey. One of the things that uh, they teach there is that, uh, financial pressure and that the burden of finances. If you're not communicating with your spouse about money, that can be one of the leading causes of divorce because it's this thing that we ignore and then it creeps up and all of a sudden it's overwhelmed us and we bring that into our marriage and start blaming each other for it. <clears throat> and so there are all these factors that can go into it. But here's what I want to say: I know that these statistics can sound boring and dry, but but here's why I mention them because people are trying to figure out why divorce. Right? Why are people getting divorced? I have a thought on this. I believe that the leading cause of divorce are the unrealistic expectations we bring with us into our marriage. You know, when I talk about, when I do premarital counseling with couples, one of the things that we go over are the roles and expectations that we carry with us. Right? Who's going to do the laundry? Who's going to do the dishes? I mean, these simple things, they all add up. But I think the unrealistic expectations, and specifically around two things, effort and perfection, right? We have this unrealistic expectation that we have married, you know, the most perfect person in the world, right? So perfection. And our spouse is the most perfect person. And by being with them, we now become perfect as well. And so then that leads to effort, right? we now know that we don't have to do anything to work at our marriage because we've married uh, the perfect person. And so we come into marriage with these unrealistic expectations of effort and perfection. And here's what I want to say to that. Because here's the deal, right? Nobody goes, nobody goes into marriage thinking, hey, guess what? I'm getting married tomorrow and there's a 50-50 shot that this thing's going to work out. Man... Man, am I excited. You know, Brad Paisley has this song that says, if love was an airplane, nobody get on. As uh, your captain speaking, there's a 50-50 chance that we'll make it uh, home alive today. So, you know, good luck, right? No, we go into marriage and we think, man, I married the most perfect person in the world. This is my best friend. This is my soulmate. I can't wait to do life with this person. I have a, a good close friend and I hate giving him a hard time today, but he uh, he was we lived together for a while and he came to me, and him and his wife, and they were like, man, we're so excited. Co-ed, roommates for life. And I thought, dude, I was your roommate for two years. That was a lifetime, right? <laughs> I mean, but we go into marriage, and we think, man, I'm ready for this. I've got this. Nothing can stop us now, right? We, we've got this all figured out. And so we've got this unrealistic expectation that things are going to go exactly the way that we think they are when we're dating. And, uh, and so we get married, and here's the thing. We don't treat any other area of our life quite like that. When we go to work, we're pretty aware of the people we work with, right? We understand those realistic expectations. Not me, I have wonderful people that I work with, but all of you, you know what I mean? I mean, we, we're, we're real about those expectations. Or our neighbors, man, we, you know, to see who. It, we can choose to ignore the people who move in next door to us, but if we want to build a relationship, we're very understanding and, and aware this may not be the easiest relationship to have. I mean, having friends is hard. Having, Working with people. We are real about those expectations. But when we get married, for some reason, there's this thing in our brain that says, oh, I don't have to work at that. It's just going to come natural. It's all going to work out. Now, we get told that we need to work at it. We think about it. But the reality is that many of us just kind of put it on autopilot and hope for the best. And that's why premarital counseling is so important. We need to be aware with our eyes wide open going into marriage. And and can I tell you, maybe your marriage is going great. And uh, maybe you didn't have premarital counseling, whatever. Even if your marriage is going great, I would encourage you at some point in your marriage, just as a diagnostic Let's get some more tools. Go to go to marriage counseling just to check in on things. At least have somebody that you can uh, check in and and help you. But we need to have those tools. We need to be proactive. But you know, so that's the effort. But we all need to be ready for that day in our marriages, right? We all have those days when we wake up and we look next to the person we that's you know next to us, our spouse, and we realize, crud, where did that perfect person go? Where were they? They were just here the other day and, and you're not perfect anymore. What's the deal? Because here's the thing. I blame it on American dating, right? We go into dating and I can think about all the, the, but I hated dating, but I remember dating and I was like, I'm going to put the most perfect, you know, step forward. I'm going to, I, the more perfect I am, when they actually discover who I am, it'll just cover it all. And so we go into dating and, we don't present who we are fully, right? I mean, that's part of what we do. And so we, again, adds to this unrealistic expectation. But here's the thing about marriage. Intimacy reveals the cracks. Intimacy shows our spouse our brokenness. Scripture says that two become one. And here's the thing. In our marriage, it's like this mirror, right? Two become one flesh. Here's the thing I know about myself. I've noticed that the older I get, When I look in the mirror in the morning, I've started to take a few steps back. Because the further I am from the mirror, the better I look. The problem with marriage is, man, two become one, and we start getting really close to that mirror. And, you know, I don't understand why women do this, but my wife has this mirror where she's putting on her makeup, and she can get really close and see all the details of her face. I took a look in that mirror, and I was like, Oh, who's that guy? You know, get him out of here. But when two become one, and we get... You know, we, we see the brokenness. Intimacy reveals the cracks. I have a pastor friend of mine that says, it's like we're all bridges. <clears throat> and we all the cracks, all the imperfections, when we go into marriage, it's like this two-ton truck is running over us and and all of the cracks and imperfections are, are being revealed. And I was like, yeah, man, marriage is like a two-ton truck, right? And, and so what he's saying is, and what I want to tell you is I am not calling your spouse a two-ton truck. What I'm saying is, The idea of marriage can be so intense. The intimacy that we experience reveals the brokenness that we have. It reveals the cracks. And so we need to be aware of that. And that's what marriage can become. This magnifying glass that amplifies the imperfections of our spouse. And then they start pointing out the stuff. Like maybe early on, the reason they call it the honeymoon period is because we're not saying anything. right? We start noticing the cracks and imperfections, but we're like, "Hmm, no, I'm not going to say anything. But eventually... You start saying stuff, you start pointing out the imperfections, and the more vulnerable you become, the more the more stuff you have to use and so we can get into this trap of just going back and forth and sharing the stuff, and then eventually, the things that we thought and i 've heard this so many times the thing I thought was so cute when we were dating, it makes me want to go scream in my pillow, you know because intimacy reveals the cracks. <clears throat> And eventually that completeness, and if you're going through divorce, you know, that completeness that we thought we were finding in the other person further reveals our own brokenness. And, you know, it can feel like we're worse off, uh, than where we were, than where we were when we started because of our unrealistic expectations. And so Jesus, the Son of God, knew how painful divorce and remarriage can be. And so in Matthew chapter 5 verses 31 through 32, he talks about it. And I like the way the message puts it. Uh, translation it says, remember, Jesus is saying, remember the scripture that says, whoever divorces his wife, let him do it legally, giving her divorce papers and her legal rights. Well, too many of you are using that as a cover for selfishness and whim, pretending to be righteous just because you're legal." Will you read that last line? Please, no more pretending. And Jesus takes it a step further. You know, he talks about the adultery and, and how when we get remarried, we bring that with us and, and all this stuff. And, and he finishes by saying, you can't use legal, to, to, uh, legal cover to mask a moral failure. Now here's, I just want to get clear about this scripture for a second because I think it's one of the most confusing scriptures we have in the church because for so many centuries... The church used this scripture and and others like it to be able to say to people who are going through divorce, you can't be a part of our community anymore. You're you're done. Here's the thing I know about the church. The church serves a couple of functions. You know, we're kind of like an airport in some ways. We get together so we can go out in mission and ministry. But we're also a hospital. We're a place for the wounded, for the broken. And so if you're going through that right now, let me tell you, let me be clear. This place is for you. We need to be supported, uh, to, to have that uh, support around us. And, and the other thing I want to say about the adultery piece, because I've had so many people uh, talk to me about that in the past, let me be clear about that too. I think we misinterpret that as well. Jesus is clear about what we bring with us into things, but he's also clear about about the need for repentance and forgiveness and how we find that when we offer our lives and our marriage is back to God. And I'll, t- I'll talk about that here in just a moment. But I just want to get clear about those two things for just a moment. Because the reality is Jesus, we interpret this, this uh, passage so poorly, I think, or have at times. Because Jesus is speaking to a very specific problem that was happening culturally to the, to the Israelites, to the Jewish people in, in his uh, community, and so basically, what would happen is this: a man would be out, and he'd be out in the marketplace. He'd be out, and he would say, "Man, you know what? I, today's Tuesday. I don't want to be married anymore. So I think I'm going to go and marry you." And then he would come home, and he would have a legal certificate of divorce. He'd present it to his wife, and then you know, go off and remarry. And the thing about the thing you need to remember is that women didn't have a lot of power. In fact, it was very rare that uh, women were a- even able to work or make income. And so they relied on their husband for that support. And so on a whim, on selfishness, they would just uh, issue these certificates just because. And they would call it legal and they would pretend and they would say, no, it's okay. I, I can do this. And Jesus saying, no, you-, you actually can't. You shouldn't. And-, and here's what I think that means for us today is that marriage is sacred and we should do everything we can to fight for it. We should do everything we can, uh, uh, as far as we can, to do that. And I think he's he's pushing us, you know, to try to do that. But you also look at another example. Jesus' cousin, John the Baptist, lost his head because he went to King Herod and said, you know, you divorced, because here's what King Herod did. He divorced his wife and then he went over to his brother and he said, hey, I'm going to take your wife away from you. And he, he married her and then uh, John the Baptist was executed, lost his head because of that, because of that, because he was willing to call King Herod on it. And so Jesus is simply reminding us of this, of the seriousness of divorce and remarriage, of how we need to do everything we can to fight for our marriages and and to do and to be ready for that. But here's what I know: I know that we have a bunch of uh, people in this room sitting here right now who've gone through painful and difficult places because of that, and that's not an easy thing to hear. And let me tell you, I- I'm with you. I know that I said that my parents have been married for 36 years, but the truth is my dad was married once before. In fact, uh, he was married once before and they had a child. And so I have a half-sister. Um, and then his first wife actually was married once before as well, and they had a child. And my dad actually adopted uh, their child uh, when when he married his first wife. And so I have an adopted sister, I have a half-sister, and they're quite a bit older than me, so you may have heard me say I'm an only child. And, and the reality is I grew up an only child in my household, and, and that speaks to some of the brokenness and some of the pain that you you can go through with divorce and remarriage. And so I, I understand where you're coming from. And uh, and I just want to attest to two things. I, I want to share with you first that, that God... <clears throat> that divorce can bring pain. Uh being a blended family is not easy. It, it took many, many, many years to get through that uh, for our family. And and man, we you know, things are uh, so much better than they ever were in, in a lot of ways. And uh my half sister and my adopted sister, they're both living in Oklahoma, they have wonderful families. Uh but it took a lot of time to get through that. I recognize that there's a lot of pain in that place. Uh divorce, remarriage, blended families. The other thing I can attest to is that God never left my dad. He never left my mom. He never left um, any anybody involved in all of this. God has been with us through it all. And that's the other piece that I want to make clear. Because what's true is there's been a lot of prayer and repentance, a lot of healing and trust that has taken place between all the members uh, involved over time. And so when we talk about remarriage, Man, we may bring, we all bring stuff with us into relationships. But boy, it's amazing how much prayer and repentance can cover us. How much healing can take place in those places. And I I share all that with you today to tell you that if you're going through a divorce or you're a blended family, especially if you have children, I know the tricky waters that you're going through. I know how painful it can be, how difficult it can be. But I can tell you there's light at the end of the tunnel. There's healing on the other side of brokenness. And so I just want to encourage you in that. And if you are divorced, or you're going through a divorce or, or, or whatnot, we actually offer a divorce care class, a support system for you. And if you haven't uh, registered, if you'd like to register for that, you can do so. I actually put that information where you can go to do that on the back of the bulletin. So if that's helpful for you, I offer that to you this morning. But it still begs the question, so what do we do? How do we stop from getting there? And I think the best way to deal with divorce is to ever prevent it from happening, to strengthen our marriages. And, and hear me say this, if you've been divorced or you're remarried, uh, this applies to all of us. We, we need to make sure that we're doing everything that we can um, in, in our marriages or you know whatever phase we are uh, to practice some of these things, to go in with our eyes wide open if, we, if you are divorced, if you ever get remarried again or if you are remarried, to, to use these things well as well. But I left all the practical pieces on the back of your bulletin. And I just want to go through a couple with you. Uh, you know, read a book. Read a book on marriage. If you haven't ever done that, do that with your spouse. It's a great gift. Valentine's Day is coming up. And, he, you know, maybe uh, either now or on Valentine's Day, give your spouse a, a marriage book and preface. Hey, I'm giving you this book because I want to strengthen your, our marriage, not because necessarily I think anything is wrong. But read a marriage book together together. Uh, the book that Melissa and I, uh, read recently is, our Seven Principles, uh, for Making Marriage Work, uh, by John Gottman. Great book. There are many books. In fact, if you, uh, that you can use, if, in the gathering room in the gym after this service, uh, Jane Waddell, our librarian, she actually has a book table. There are a lot of resources you can use. You can go check that out at the end of our service. Another thing I want to tell you is communicate with your spouse. Make sure that you're having an opportunity for a regular date night where you're connecting. And look, I'm not saying you shouldn't go to the movies, but I'm saying when I go to the movies, I don't want my wife talking to me while I'm watching a movie, right? I want to check out and I want to be zoned into what I'm watching. If you're doing a date night, make sure you have plenty of time for conversation. And we kind of have this rule uh, where for the first 20 minutes, we're allowed to talk about working and kids and that's it. And then we talk about each other and we talk about making a life together and, and, you know, all those great things. Make sure you're communicating well. In fact, we have a marriage conference coming up called Your Time-Starved Marriage. And uh, we hope to give you some of those tools as well to, to make those connections. Make plans beyond just this weekend, right? Think ahead. Be creative. Get away together. Do something to show you care. And, and the other one that I would say that I actually don't have written in here is learn how to argue better. Can I tell you, if I was a fly on the wall in some of your houses, I know you'd be arguing dirty, right? A lot of us just don't argue well. And I can tell you, I've, I've seen the good and the bad of arguments. And it really pays to learn how to argue better. And then there's, there's one other one I just want to share with you. You know, Melissa and I, we're, we're not immune to having difficulties in our marriage. And, uh, man, we, we go through our ups and downs like we all do. And one of the things that's been helpful for me is, is this idea of remembering, Right? We will be in love with this person, you know, for our whole life, but we may not always feel it. There are times when we'll feel more in love than others. But it really does go a long way when you can remember those moments when you were really just connected, when you were zoned in. Uh, she posted a picture on Instagram the other day that she said I should share with you, but it was of us kissing. So I didn't want to PDA, right? I didn't want to bring it in. But she posted that picture and we just look at it all the time because it was a moment when we were dating. And it was a moment when we just had the world in front of us and we were so connected. We have to remember at times that we still have that. But it's helpful. And so I want to challenge you to to find something to help you to remember. But here's, here's, here's what I want to uh, invite us to remember to do. And so my point with all this is this. Ben Franklin, as he famously said, an ounce of prevention is worth a pound of the cure. And so all I'm saying is just do something. Do something to show that you 're working on your marriage that you 're being proactive and you 're not just saying sorry all the time, but you're uh, you 're doing things practically, do the hard work, but as we can, uh, as we conclu- as I conclude uh, our, my sermon today, I just want to leave you with a challenge, a word of challenge and a word of hope so here 's the challenge the challenge is that we can 't see our marriage as our own that goes for our lives too. We have to remember. If we want to find hope in our marriage, our ultimate hope isn't going to be preventing divorce, right? Our ultimate hope is going to come from two broken people becoming one in Jesus Christ. So we have to give our lives and our marriage back to the one who gave us each other as companions. That's the challenge of our marriage is that we would give it along with our lives back to God and see marriage as a sacred calling. And here's the thing I know, no matter where you are, one of the best advices uh, best pieces of advice rather that i was ever given was to pray with my spouse out loud in, in private together because here's the thing we may have trouble i look i'm a i can communicate here i can preach all day long on sunday but when it comes to trying to tell my spouse something that i can't i'm going to mess it up like 90% of the time but when i can pray with her and talk to god on a personal level, and just share, man, the most vulnerable places of my heart, and my spouse can hear me to pray for those things, and I can hear her when she's praying for those things, boy, does that draw us together in Christ. So if you've not done that before, I want to invite you to start that as a practice, because that will go a really long way in giving your lives and your marriage back to God. And and so that's the challenge. Here's the hope. The hope is that when we give our our lives and our marriages back to God, God gives us two great gifts. And can I tell you, these two great gifts can only come when we've given everything over to God and God in return gives us these two gifts. Our spouse will never give us these gifts to the level that we need them. And, And here are the two gifts, grace and forgiveness. And until you receive them from Jesus Christ, they'll, I think, these two things, when you receive them from Jesus Christ, will have have the greatest success rate of keeping your marriage together, no matter how far gone you might feel. And so hear me. If you're going through a divorce, or you are divorced, you're remarried, or you have, you're in a blended family and you're trying to navigate all this stuff and figure it out, can I tell you that yeah, grace and forgiveness will go a long way? One of the things that I talk about with people who are going through divorce, who have been divorced and still dealing with some of that, are the regrets they have of how they treated each other through that time. Or the ways that they treat, uh, some of the habits that they kept up. And can I tell you, grace and forgiveness goes a really, really long way. And, and here's the difference between the two. Grace says, I see you for all of your faults, and I choose to love you for who you are. It doesn't mean I won't challenge you to grow, but I won't wait for you to love and treat me a certain way. I've seen you with the microscope up close, and I, I don't just accept you but I'm going to show you love and I'm going to show you care and I'm going to show you concern regardless. That's grace. Now, grace doesn't mean that we're a doormat for our spouse. And it certainly doesn't mean that we ever accept any form of verbal or physical abuse from our spouse. But grace does show love and mercy, even if it doesn't feel uh, deserved. So that's grace. And forgiveness says you cause me pain, resentment, Uh, frustration and bitterness, but it's not mine to keep. And so you may still remember all that stuff, but when we practice forgiveness with our spouse, forgiveness helps us to see our past, not as a prison, but as a school. So we start to learn from it. And can I tell you that when we talk about forgiveness, sometimes we need to forgive ourselves. It's amazing what guilt will make us do to somebody else. When we feel guilty about somebody, have you ever noticed that sometimes you just lash out because you are holding this guilt Sometimes we need to forgive ourselves when it comes to marriage and divorce. I have a friend who called me and said, uh, after catching his uh, spouse in infidelity, and infidelity, man, he was just broken and beside himself, didn't know what to do. And, it, and he immediately started talking about all the things that he had done wrong to lead to this moment, to cause her to do that. And you know, the truth is, we, we talked a lot about grace and forgiveness, and he eventually went on to forgive his spouse, but he also went on to forgive himself. Because he realized he'd been disengaged. He'd been checked out. And that forgiveness reinvigorated him. And it reinvigorated his marriage. And now they're stronger than ever. And so I leave us with this thought today. I, I know that we've all been impacted by divorce and possibly remarriage in one way or another. But let me remind us all that, that we live in a broken world. We are broken people. And what's true for our marriage is true for our own lives. They are not our own. They were bought with a price through Jesus Christ. And the hope is this picture uh, of a broken marriage that looks like it's ending, but through grace and forgiveness and giving it over to Jesus Christ finds healing. And that deep woundedness is healed and given to Jesus Christ. Hope is this picture of a divorced couple and maybe they don't get back together, but they begin to connect with each other if they have children especially with grace and forgiveness and things begin to to look a little bit different that's hope or maybe you're in a blended family and this picture of hope is a blended family moving together acknowledging all the brokenness and stuff we bring with us but we're doing so in a way that we give our lives our families our marriages all of it over to God and God gives us grace and forgiveness and and that picture of hope is that all of us would find our best way forward. Because in all these ways, we've given our lives, our marriages, our families, everything to the one who created us, to the one who redeems us, to the one who sustains us. And can I tell you, if we do that, our world will look different.